All right, parenting is crazy, isn't it? Anybody who's got kids knows that to be true, right? And so we're going to be talking about that. And if you're not a parent yet, or you are a past parent, uh, your children are grown like ours are, uh, don't tune us out. Because I want to tell you, we're going to be looking at some principles that apply to every relationship, specifically our relationship with God, but then every other human relationship as well. And they're going to help us understand who God is as our Father. They're also going to help us as a church as we grow in our church community, as we raise and support the children of our church. Uh, Now, as you know, um, Lori and I have four kids, and our kids are grown. Some of them have children of their own. It's kind of interesting to watch your children raise their children and, uh, and, you know, learn how simply easy it is. Um, But um, it's kind of interesting, and we're we're at that good sweet spot right, right now in our life. And let me just say, though, if you're not at that place hang in there. Uh, it, it gets a lot better. And the empty nest is not bad, I'm telling you, in a lot of good ways. Uh, but it is tough. It is difficult. Someone said this. They said, most of the time I feel unqualified to be a parent. And they said, I call those times being awake. So if you're awake, you probably feel unqualified to be a parent. And, uh, and all of us feel that kind of challenge. You know, our parenting experiences began with our son, Kyle. He's our oldest. And we have been told uh, that we could not have children. And so we were pretty frustrated by that. And so we chose the adoption route. And I have to admit that I struggled with that. I didn't, uh, I was so unfamiliar with adoption that we, I didn't even know anybody was adopted. And so I pushed back against that. But within a few months, we were in full swing of that. My wife is uh, pretty determined when she uh, puts her mind to something. And sure enough, within a couple of months of even trying, we got a call telling us that we were going to be parents uh, in two months. We didn't get the nine months that a lot of people get and all the planning, but it came very quickly and we had no idea what to do. Uh, we didn't have any babies on any side of our family. We didn't really have any, any babies in our, in our church. Uh, so we didn't really know what to do. And so we would go shopping and we'd buy a couple onesies and we're like, I don't know what else he needs besides that. That should pretty much do it. Maybe a thing of diapers. And, and uh, so we were, we were clueless. And I remember the day uh, that they called us up and they said that our son had been born. Uh, it was kind of like a mail order thing or something, a little bit odd, not, not at all like our last two children. But uh, but any rate, we, uh, we were called, and I remember that day and how excited we were. And then the day we went to pick him up, and I have to tell you, I'm a little bit sentimental, and there is a spot at the Baptist, uh, Cent- uh, Central Baptist Hospital um, that is where we waited, in the waiting area. And every now and then, when I go to visit somebody, I just stop by there and sit down. Uh, because I remember that place we sat when we were sitting, when they said, hey, your son is upstairs and you just need to come up and get him in a few minutes, which was extremely, I know, not how most of us get our kids, right? And then it's hard to believe they just hand you a kid. I mean, they just handed the kid. The way lady walked out with him under her arm like a football. And I was like, forevermore, you're going to kill him or drop him or something. You know, we were so nervous about holding the baby and everything. And they just handed this kid. I mean, there was no training. Uh, we didn't have to get a license or certification or any type of, of a degree, uh, very little advice, few instructions, here's your kid. Now, I know it isn't like that for everybody, but in many ways, that's kind of what parenting is like. You have to, it's more work to be able to drive a car than it is to actually have a baby. And then before you know it, you're just in the full swing of things, and then your child actually becomes their own little person, their own little personality, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. And looking back, it's an awesome, awesome experience to be a, a parent 
And for me to be a dad is one of the greatest pleasures of my life. But let me ask you this. How do you know if you're doing it right? How do you know if you're doing a good job with your kids? I mean, uh, there's not really a grading scale for parenting at this point, right? If you're an athlete, you know the score at the end of the game. You know the score is up there. In fact, not just at the end, but all through the game, are we winning or losing? If you're a student, you have periodic tests or papers and you get a, you get a grade, you know, hey, I'm passing this course. If you're in business, you know, if you're still in business, you're making money that, yeah, you're doing okay. You know, you're succeeding in that. But with parenting, there is no scale of success or failure. You don't know if you've been successful really until they grow up and they become an adult. And as believers, we, we want them to be a Christian adult. And even then, we don't even know how well we've done because we don't know if they can actually do what we did, if they can raise a child and who is now a Christian adult. So, I mean, it takes like 50 years sometimes to know if you're really successful in your parenting. It's a long-term thing, and we have to take a long-term vision. And a lot of people, you know, try to give advice. There's all kind of books on parenting, but there really is only one book that's the ultimate source of wisdom on parenting, and that, of course, is the Bible. So that's where we're going to go. And we're not going to go necessarily to those scriptures that you hear all the time about raise up a child. We're familiar with those. We're going to be looking at a lot more basic things. And that's why I say that this is going to relate to every one of us. No matter where you are, if you don't have children, your children are, are raised, it doesn't really matter at this point. Because we're going to talk about the greatest father of all and how he treats us how he cares for us, and how in turn we are growing and developing, and we are to pass that along to our children. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 12, a very familiar passage of scripture, probably to many of us, where Jesus said this, or the scripture says this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noting that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That's going to be our outline for this parenting series. It's really, it's all about relationships. It's all about connecting, and it's going to apply to a parenting, but it's also going to go far beyond that. Because as we look and see what Jesus said, Jesus gives a general commandment, not just to parents, to everyone, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength, everything that you have. And this week, as we begin this series, we're going to talk about starting with love. We're going to talk about love today and how to love your kids and how to love God as well. And then the next week is going to be about the heart. That's loving God with your emotional life. And the next week is one of my favorites. This is the soul. This is loving God with your spiritual life. And then the mind. This is loving God with your mental life. And last strength. This is loving God with your physical life. So when you look at all those four areas, you see that God wants us to be a healthy, whole person that's fully engaged in a relationship with him in all of those facets of our life and a healthy, life-giving way so that then you can have these healthy relationships with other people. And see, this formula that Jesus gives here is how we're to love God. But then he goes on to say it's not just about loving God. The second commandment is to love others, 
to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So love is pervasive, not only to God, but to other people. And, you know, the Bible talks about neighbors. And if you know the um, kind of the the definition the Bible gives of neighbor, it's anyone who is in need. It's not just the person who lives next to you. It's anyone who is in need. And when you think about it, there is no one in need more of our love and our direction and leadership than our children. So it may feel weird to think that your child is your neighbor, uh, but your spouse can be your neighbor, your child can be your neighbor. Anyone in need is who we are to love secondly, love God and love others. And what I love about this is that it also connects with our motive as a church, that our motive of what we do this, uh, why we do what we do is that we love God, we love others, and we wanna be disciples that make disciples. And let me tell you, parenting primarily is all about making disciples, making disciples of your children. So it connects, this connects completely with our mission as a church and also our motive as a church too. Now, the context of the scripture that that Jesus gives here is that Jesus is kind of in a place where he's being questioned and he's being challenged in some ways. And he's being asked here, what is the most important commandment? Of all the commandments in the, the law, of everything in the Bible, what is the most important thing? If we were to narrow it down to one thing, and Jesus quickly acknowledges that the greatest commandment is to love God with our whole being, to love God with everything that we have. And you know, that begins with recognizing that the God of the Bible is our God. And that's what Jesus said, the Lord, our God, referring back to the God that made all creation and chose people and gives us everything recognizing the God of the, of the Bible. And secondly, he notes that this God is one. This is the God who is of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself being the, one of those members of that Trinity. So this acknowledges here that God is our only true authority, that he is our God, and that we are under the authority of our creator and our God, and kind of laying things out to say that our children are next to be under our authority. Do you know how our children understand how to be under God's authority? The plan is that they are under our authority first, and they learn authority, they learn submission under us as parents, and then we kind of hand them off to God, and they know what it's like to be obedient, to serve. We raise them with that kind of knowledge. And the reality is that we cannot truly raise our children to know the Lord and love the Lord unless we are knowing and loving the Lord first. It's kind of what, he's, what he says all the time, that leadership starts at the top and then it trickles down. We also see here in the scripture of Jesus that, that God is relational. He is a relational God. Not only does God want to be in relationship with us, that we love him with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul and strength, but he also wants us to be in relationship with others. The second commandment, love our neighbors ourselves, and we are to share that love. And so it all starts with love, and that's where we're going to start the series out today. You know, most of us are probably familiar with the importance of love in the development of a child, a young child. And maybe you heard those um, stories or uh, or from experiments that were done many years ago in orphanages. I think these were kind of done back uh, after the Second World War, where there were a lot of children who were orphans, and those orphans were placed into orphanages, uh, large group homes where there were too many children to be cared for individually uh, and personally. And so they treated them not as individuals, but more as a group. And they just kind of fed them and clothed them and housed them. And that was about it. 
But they, they didn't do this on purpose. It was just that there were just too many children for them to be individual with. But they discovered that those children who were not loved and nurtured and who were not cared for individually, those children did not do well. They did not develop in a healthy way. In fact, many of them that grew up to the place where they could not develop affection for, uh, for, other, for, for even parents, adoptive parents. And in fact, many of those children who are ordinarily healthy died from neglect. And they understood that we need to be loved. Children don't mature or develop unless they are loved. Now, obviously, with our own children, we are more personally involved with them, and we don't see that kind of problem. But, but we also can find out that much of our issues as adults come from how we were raised as children and how we were cared for, the love that was put into us. I guess what I'm trying to say is that as parents, we have to be relational with our children. Non-relational parenting is dysfunctional parenting. Maybe some of us grew up in homes that were kind of non-relational. Our parents weren't super involved in our life or invested in us, and they only spoke maybe to us when they had something for us to do or uh, to try to correct us, but there really wasn't that real strong relationship. And you know, I noticed this kind of things go in ways and generations. And I noticed this for a while, especially in dads, that many times dads were distant from their children and mom kind of raised the kids. Dads weren't very involved. And then it seems like, especially in our area, that we went through a time where dads uh, were super involved, super connected. It almost became, especially in sports, uh, almost like the dad was living vicariously through their children. So they were so involved in their life and wanted them to be successful. But what I've noticed lately, I think, is that sometimes we're seeing something similar of this uh, non-relational parenting through the technological parent. Now the parent, we have, you know, our tablet, computer, phone, whatever it may be, and it's maybe disconnect because we're so caught up in that. It's not the newspaper anymore. It's some kind of technology that has our attention, and, and that's a problem. In fact, sometimes you'll see family, the whole family sitting around on their own smartphone in the same room, but not connecting. That's not relational. And so, you know, time and technology even impacts the level of involvement that we have. If we're going to be relational, we have to be involved and connected to our kids. That's why technology can really be a problem sometimes. You know, God knew that we needed relationships, and so God sent Jesus, his son, into the world in a human form so that we could be relational with him. Jesus was extremely relational. And what makes a relationship healthy is love. That's what really forms and shapes a relationship. But you know what? In our world today, when you say the word love, it has such a broad meaning. It can go so many different directions. We love steak, a good steak. We love pizza. Uh, we love our car. We love our school. Whatever it is, love has a very vague definition. And so let's go to God's word and discover what love means. And then we can kind of see how we're loved by God, how we are to love God, and how do we love our children and teach them how to love. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. So we think of the person of God, we know that God is love. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, it gives us a deeper definition, more complete of what love is. And this sounds familiar, it should. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, Dan did a great job preaching on uh, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. But here's what we read there. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record 
of wrongs. You know, if we were to take all of these attributes or all of these characteristics and we were to uh, bring them together in one person, it would be Jesus. It would be Jesus who displays the love of God. And we, in turn, are to show that kind of love that Christ has shown to our children. So if you read through that list of um, uh, definitions there or qualities, that's how we're to love our children really quickly. That's where to love everyone, but especially our neighbor, those who are closest to us. So let's take a few minutes and look at kind of God's love for us and break some of this down in some practical things and see how we in turn can pass this on to our children. One thing we see about God in loving us is that God's love is received from God. It is not achieved by us. It is received from God, not achieved by us. You know, there are some people who love based only on performance. Uh, If you please me, I will love you. I, I like you as long as you're doing what I want you to do. But when you stop doing what I want you to do, then I'm not happy with you and I'm gonna withhold my love from you. And that happens in a lot of relationships. In marriage, it happens uh, in friendship, in working relationships, within the church, everything. Uh, Please me, I love you. Displease me, I don't love you anymore. But God's love is not like that. It isn't. God's love is not based on your performance. It is based on his person, the person of God. God loves us. In fact, God can't love you any more than he does. And no matter what you do, God will not love you any less. He may not be pleased with you all the time, but he will not stop loving you. That's the character and the person of God. So it starts with love, and this in turn is how our parenting should be, that we love our kids no matter what they do. We're not always happy with them. Uh, we're, not, we're not pleased, even as adults, children, I'm sure, we're not always happy with our children, but we're going to love them no matter what, even if they disappoint us, even if they frustrate us, no matter what, we're going to love them consistently. And they're going to know that. That's how God teaches us how to love. And that's how we're to love our children as well. Doesn't mean we don't discipline at some point, but we do not only love them when they are pleasing us. We love them all the time. The second thing we see about God's love is that God is a jealous God and God has a jealous love. You know, we normally think about jealousy as being a negative thing. Uh, A lot of times when couples are dating, even as marriage, you might be jealousy. And that jealousy might come up. We, we frame that oftentimes as being a bad thing and being controlling. And obviously it can go way off track. But there really is a healthy form of jealousy. And that's the kind of jealousy that God has for us. See, jealousy is not approving of someone else taking our place. Let me just say that probably all of us could probably identify with that. Let's say that you come home from work one day, men, and you come home and there's a new car in the drive or a different car, and there's a man sitting at your table acting like your uh, wife's husband and acting like your kid's father. I mean, most men would not do well with that. Most of us would not be happy. We, we would, you know, we would probably charge in and, and we would be jealous, right? Because someone's trying to take our place. So it's natural for someone to be jealous of another who tries to take their rightful place. And that's the way God is jealous. God gets jealous when something or someone is in his place. And that's the way of showing his love. He is not indifferent. The opposite of jealousy might be indifferent. He's not indifferent toward us. He is jealous whenever we allow something or someone to take our place. If we allow our job or our money or our possessions, our lifestyle, 
or even our family to take his place. If we replace time with God with something else, the time we should be worshiping, God gets jealous of that. And God wants us to know that we're so important that he's not going to give that place up easily. He's not going to abandon us. If we love our children with the love of God, we're going to want to be the primary relationship in their lives. And we're going, not going to allow other people or other things to interrupt that or supersede that relationship. So as parents, we think about number one, until, you know, as a dad of three daughters, until I handed my daughter over and gave her away to her husband, my relationship with her was her number one relationship. She was my daughter, and now she's someone else's wife. I handed her off. Uh, I don't feel jealous of my daughter's husbands. I have great relationship with them, but when I raised her, them, um, I wanted to be the leader in the home. I wanted to be the one they looked to. That's appropriate. It's what God says we should do. So God's jealous. He wants to be primary. We got to be willing and respectable and leaders in our families so that they look to us and, and the jealousy is justified and it's reasonable. The third thing we see is that God's love tolerates us and then transforms us. You know, our culture tells us that love and tolerance are the same. If you love me, you will tolerate anything that I do. You'll accept what I do. You'll approve it. You'll affirm it. But you know what? A loving parent may look at a child and say, I love you, but I reject that behavior. I love you, but you will not act like that. You will not do that. And that's kind of how God is with us. There is a difference between accepting the person and accepting their behavior. When God says no to our behavior, he's not saying no to our relationship. What he's saying is that your behavior is actually hindering the relationship and it's blocking what the relationship could be. And so you got to change. The behavior has to change so the relationship can become stronger. God tolerates you because he loves you. And then his love transforms you so that your behavior changes. In the same way, that's how parents are, you know? That's kind of how it is. God welcomes you. He loves you as you are, but he's going to change you, who you are, and, and make you different if you are truly in relationship with him. You know, God doesn't conform his truth to our actions. God doesn't say, well, I guess if that's how you want to be, I'll just have to accept it. God doesn't do that. God demands change. And so it's the parent's role to lovingly tolerate their child when they misbehave, but to discipline them, to lead them to transformation. So it's important to understand that. Love, I read this this morning on Facebook. I don't know who, who posted this. Love is not a lack of discipline. Love is not a lack of discipline. I thought that was uh, pretty timely and, and fits right in there. Fourthly, God's love connects before it corrects. God's love corrects before it con connects before it corrects. You know, God builds a relationship with us, and then God deals with the issues in our life. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to find that which was already perfect or that which was already saved. He came to seek, to look for, and then to save that which was lost. And he finds us in our worst place. He loves us in advance. Romans chapter 2 says that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, it's not always the heavy hand of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that touches our hearts and makes us be sorry and repent. 
And it's that loving relationship that then leads us to change behavior. We know that God took the initiative to love us first and responds, we come to him in submission and obedience. So whenever we correct our children, which we all have to do at some point, we ought to do that in the context of love and relationship and never in anger or never out of our own frustration. And I think that sometimes is what really hurts uh, the whole discipline process when, when we're just angry or we're frustrated or we're, you know, we are insulted that our kids disobeyed us. You know, all those things go through our mind and God must feel the same way. But God doesn't discipline in that frame of mind. God disciplines us with love for our change. He connects with us and then he corrects us. Our children ought to know that we love them long before we have to discipline them. And so that's important to see that perspective. And then fifthly, God's love is a protective love. It's a protective love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just reading on down a couple more verses, it says, love always protects. Love always protects. You know, parents, there is a battle for your child. When your child is born instantly, there is a battlefield that, that is created. And if you're not aware of that, then both your child and your child's future are in danger. Because I will tell you that Satan wants to destroy your child, and he will do it in any number of ways, any way that he possibly can. So you are the primary, and in some cases, maybe only the only barrier between your child and Satan. I want you to understand that in, in a lot of ways, spiritually, um, emotionally, mentally, physically, uh, in every way, you are the barrier, you are the guard, you are the watchman on the wall for your child's safety and security and develop, development. So you have to be vigilant and you have to be intentional. And you got to make sure that you protect your child, that you step forward to do that. And, uh, and I can think of a lot of ways, probably you can as well, you know, uh, you, know you want to keep your child safe from uh, uh, health issues, you know, from accidents, from bullies, you know, from uh, the, you know, people that would harm your child, any danger. There's so many ways that you are to protect your child. But I want to share a very specific danger that you need to be aware of here in Kentucky, uh, even in the Bible Belt. And uh, that's in the area of gender identity. It's, it's amazing to think about this. A few years ago, we had no idea that this would be an issue for families or for children, but it, but it really is. And more and more, we're seeing the influence of social media and, uh, and movies and companies like Disney that we thought was child-friendly. We're seeing these companies that, um, that, that have an agenda, obviously, to lead our children and to question our children about their gender and about their sexual identity. And so it's kind of baffling to see, to understand why, other than to know that Satan has chosen this time and this place to destroy families. And this is what it does, destroy families, relationships, future, physically, in so many different ways. And what is super sad is that in many cases, their intention leaving, leaving the parent out of these conversations, allowing and even encouraging children to question their gender. And sometimes we're almost clueless because we don't expect this kind of attack. It's, it's kind of out of the blue. And in some cases, children, kindergarten age and even below are being indoctrinated. They're being challenged to choose their preferred pronouns. Who would ever imagine that anybody would have a conversation like that with a child ever? So it's just hard to believe. 
In addition to questioning traditional pronouns about he, him, she, her, or they, they even suggest other neutral pronouns such as ni, the, zi, and zai. Now, if you're confused, which I am, can you imagine how your child must be confused about this? And a little bit of direction or a little bit of encouragement and nurturing along these ways could simply derail them in a lot of ways. And this is very dangerous and damaging for children. If we love our kids, we should. We are going to be the guard to determine what they're taught. And, you know, I remember there was a point in our, my parenting time with our son, and I've shared that with you before in the past where he kind of got in some trouble, that I felt like it literally was a battle between me and Satan for my son's safety and his future. And I felt very much in the battlefield. And if I were a parent of a small child, I would, this would be a moment for me. This would be a moment to say, I got to find out what they're being taught, not just a small child, but all age into high school, even college, I guess. I would, I would step up as a warrior to say, I want to know what's being taught to my child. I will determine whether this is taught to my child or not. And whatever it took to do that, I would, I would make sure it happened. That if I had kids that age. So I want to encourage you to think about this as parents. It's dangerous to our children's present and their future. And I think it's also a horrible symptom of socialism, which allows the government and other authorities to force their beliefs on us as Christians. And at some point, we got to say enough, especially when it comes to our children. So I would say that you need to be very involved in your child's education and every other facet of their life so you can protect them. They need you to protect them, taking whatever precautions and whatever decisions, major decisions need to be made to keep them in a safe environment. And that's why I said earlier, this demands intentionality and intensity like never, ever before. Your greatest treasure are your children. And we cannot simply assume that other people are going to do what is best for our children. We are responsible for that. That, I think, is one of the major ways that we love them. So to wrap up today, we start with love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't just say, hey, I love you guys. He showed us that he loved us when he went to the cross and gave the ultimate sacrifice. And then he pursues all of us which is how we in turn showed love to our children, sacrificially and intentionally directly to them. And so we show that kind of love as we've been taught, as we've received. And the best way for your child to be a mature Christian adult is for you to be a mature Christian adult by example. And you know, we have the great example above us, and that is our Heavenly Father, the one who gave everything for us to show us his love. And he calls us to give our all to him. And one way we do that is by loving others, loving our children. But let me say this, you can't do that without a relationship with God through Jesus. You just can't do it. I would hate to think about being a parent without having God on my side and, and Christ in my corner. I can't imagine how I would do that. And so by way of response this morning, if you know that you need help in parenting and you want to seek that from God, I, I'm going to be up front. I'm going to be available here to talk to you about your next step on your journey. But let me also say, these are tough times for our kids. And one thing we can do that, that doesn't cost a dime is pray. Pray for our children. And you know, we as a church, we believe strongly in prayer. And uh, in fact, every 
Sunday morning, we start our time as a, a staff. We gather together, those of us who, who can, uh, over here, and we pray. We pray for the service. We pray for you. But today, I would ask, if you would, to pray for our children and for the children of our church and our community. And uh, if you want to come forward, we always offer this time, this space up here to pray uh, for whatever may be going on. If you want someone to pray with you, I'll be available. Zach will step up. I know who Mara is going to step up to just kind of uh, pray with you if you'd like. But if you want to just come forward and say, I'm intentionally praying for the children of our church and our community and of our culture right now, we want to offer this time up for you. Let's stand together as we go to the Lord. Father, we come to you, and Lord, we know we live in a dangerous world. And Lord, there's no one more vulnerable uh, to the danger than our children. And Lord, I pray that we would be the watchmen and women who stand to pray for their safety, for their emotional, spiritual, physical, and mental safety, God. Lord, as you've entrusted them to us and they're extremely vulnerable, God, we pray that you would build a hedge of protection around them, Lord, and you would uh, uh, keep the evil one away. God, we as a church want to stand for you and for truth and for our children. Lord, I pray uh, that we understand the only way we can truly do that is through a relationship with Jesus. Everything flows through relationship from you to us, to our children. And Lord, we want to honor you and, and glorify you just now, God. And pray that those who are here who maybe are not in a right relationship with you, Lord, would, would rush to do that, to find the strength and the power to live faithfully. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.